You're listening to the You Mentor Talk Show, now available on the Emoja app. I'm your host, Fatima Al-Sayed, and on this weekly talk show, we usually invite experts to take us through their journeys as professionals in their fields. And remember, if you have any questions for our panelists, you can always leave them in the comments section and we'll get to them during our show. Today's show is brought to you by Card Connect Florida. They make payments simple, secure, and reliable. On today's show, we welcome Zainab Merchant, who is also known as Zainab Writes. She is an award-winning writer and journalist who often writes about social justice and spiritual activism. Make sure to tune in next week at 3 p.m. to hear from our next guests. Assalamu alaikum, Zainab. How are you? Wa alaikum salam. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, first of all, I wanted to wish you a happy Eid Ghadir. Eid Ghadir Mubarak. And inshallah to all of our listeners as well. Very excited to have you on our show today because there's been a lot going on around the world and you've been doing a lot to um, create change and uh, raise awareness um, in these important issues. So inshallah, we'll get more to that. Thank you for having me. Of course, it's our pleasure, honestly. <laughs> um, so before we get into it, let's uh, just give us a rundown of your educational background so our listeners know um, what background you come from. So um, I, I did my undergrad as a double degree in political science and homeland security. Mm -hmm. And uh, I am currently in my master's program, my final semester at Harvard University and uh, studying um, journalism and international security. And from my knowledge, you are also a businesswoman. That's what you started off as. So can you tell us a little bit about your business? So yes, um, I have uh, recently launched a uh, specialty table mm -hmm. and kitchenware um, food blog um, called Table in Paradise. Uh, we sell kitchen products and uh, high quality um, tableware, um, and uh, it's all you know. It's related to food as well and food writing, and mm -hmm. it also falls into my journalist uh, kind of journalism angle as well. Because it's also a blog as well, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. More content based. Yeah. Um, and then you went on. So you had your kids, um, mm -hmm. two kids, and then you decided that you wanted to study journalism out of yeah. nowhere. <laughs> no, actually, um, I had my so I actually the truth is that I kind of got sick of the political world mm -hmm. um, after graduation. I just mm -hmm. felt very jaded, just like many millennials today. Uh, for, felt very overwhelmed that I couldn't really make change. Um, so I took a break after undergrad. I had my um, baby and uh, right after graduating university and uh, went on to start writing books. And I have a very creative side. So I love illustrating and sketching. Um, so I wrote my first book. It took two years because I um, sketched all the artwork That's in amazing. the book as well and this is princess sienna's pen or to be a muslim princess sienna's pen okay yeah and, uh, and your daughter's name is sienna as well which is so yeah, so cute <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so i i really enjoyed that process and mm -hmm. i felt like i was just gonna be an author all my life mm -hmm. um a friend uh took me up for coffee and she really railed on me um, said, you know, you have all these talents of writing and speaking. Um, why don't you do something with that, with what's going on in Yemen? And uh, I really felt that, you know, she was onto something. I researched everything for myself. And uh, then I, I just felt like this was my calling as well. 
I couldn't ignore what was happening. Um, and so I actually took my um, senior professor's uh, offer um, that he would give me a personal recommendation. And I said, if I'm going to go to back to school, I wanted mm. to go to the best school that could challenge me. Mm. And, um, and that's how I ended up at Harvard with uh, actually three kids, uh, two kids at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And I put my author career on a hold at that mm -hmm. time. And that's how I ended up. Um, actually, at, at that time, there's a lot going on. Um, I told you, um, I actually took all this Yemen stuff to an influencer that I really looked up to, and who spoke often about human rights issues. Yeah. And uh, she told me that, you know, this wasn't fitting with her whole blog. And wow. it was like very off-putting and so that really made me feel down and I felt like um, I guess I would have to do things myself um, mm -hmm. but you know people wouldn't really do things for me in the way that I really wanted to see the work being done yeah. um, so I was very overwhelmed uh, I didn't know what I was doing at the time no one would think that you know looking at me now um, people know me as Zaina Wright that I went through all these struggles but yeah. that was how I got started. Were you always outgoing um, and up, outspoken? No, actually, I'm uh, very shy as a person. <laughs> um, I I am very extroverted, but only when it comes to people I know. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I've really learned a lot during my activism. It's actually helped me become more like outgoing. But as, as an individual, I'm very introverted. Mm -hmm. uh, I kind of like, you know, the corner and, I like, you know, the same kind of people. So mm -hmm. I have my, my kinks. So. <laughs> yeah. And has it been hard? Um, how many years is your program, your master's program? The pr program itself was supposed to be done within three, three years. Uh, but I took a long time because I had the two children. And right at the beginning of when um, I started school, mm -hmm. um, I actually found out that I was expecting again my oh, wow. third which was a very big shock for me because I felt mm -hmm. like I've been my whole life out. Um, but alhamdulillah, like, you know, Harvard was very understanding. Mm -hmm. A gap year for a year to have my baby um, right after she was born. Um, yeah. So it's taken me, this is uh, like almost fifth, like when I graduate in May, mm -hmm. it'll be five years from starting. Wow. Yeah. So I really took my time. It's and determination. That's good though. Yeah, it's yeah, been it's good. an amazing journey. Mm -hmm. uh, it's definitely been hard. Like, yeah. what's the hardest part? Um, I imagine you'll have to you have to travel out to Boston, right? Yeah. So the the weird thing is the hardest part wasn't the traveling. Mm -hmm. um, even though my husband and I had a really good schedule, um, because the kids barely felt that I was gone. I would leave um, in the evening, um, mm -hmm. the day before. I would go, uh, not the day of, for example, my classes would be at night. Mm -hmm. I would in the afternoon, evening-ish. I would make it, it's just a two-hour flight. Okay. Um, make it straight from airport to class, <laughs> do two back-to-back -back classes, then, you know, sleep a night at a hotel and be back the next morning around, mm -hmm. like, at Fudger time. So they would yeah. barely um, know that I was gone. It would be like, oh, mom was. And it was just once a week? Yeah, once a week. Okay. Sometimes I wouldn't have to go if there are assignments that I could turn in. 
Mm -hmm. So it's been really flexible in that sense. But the hardest part was like obviously bringing the work home. Mm. A student, you know, there's a lot of mental um, work that goes into like the homework, the writing, the research. So that was a struggle because, you know, with mom life, you really have to focus on the kids as well. Mm-hmm. Then like, oh, you know, have to go back and at night when they go back to sleep, I have to Get I up. put my feet up and watch TV. I have to mm-hmm. work for classes. So how do you balance everything um, that you do? Because you do quite a lot um, from your blog to Zainab Brights, mm-hmm. your food blog to Zainab Brights. Then you have also um, COVID-19, the relief um, that you created Angels for COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, the books, we'll put them aside because those are done. <laughs> but also After you're... Out, so hopefully... Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So how, how do you balance it all? Um, I I think I, I really don't think about it too much. Um, mm-hmm. I really have, you know, the Nike motto, just do it. <laughs> I, the more, if I think about things, I'll get overwhelmed, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I do have a very like normal routine where I wake up, I listen to this um, motivational um, segment every mm-hmm. morning. It's been going on for like a long time. There is a segment on YouTube that talks about how Imam Ali describes God. It's very motivating and it's like a 24 hour, a 24 minute um, segment. And uh, I drink my coffee and I have my eggs and I watch that. And that really helps me have really a, like a set mindset of how I want to go about my day. Um, and uh, it really puts my things in perspective that, you know, why I'm here, my purpose on earth, my relationship with my faith and the people around me. And so that really, I feel like sets me, grounds me with my intention. And I just divide up my day and compartmentalize. Mm-hmm. Obviously, being a mom and running the house and being a wife, that takes up 90% of my time, honestly. Yeah. Um, you know, like with having three kids, obviously, you know, like running a home is like running a restaurant and a hospital and a school all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of time goes in there, but you know, when their kids are in school and the father is with them, taking them to the park, I really can get a lot of work done. Um, and I, I barely watch TV, I do. I'm not, I'm not going to <laughs> I have a very scheduled time set aside for that me mm-hmm. time. Um, but other than that, it's just a lot of productivity. So wh- where did the name Zainab Brights come from? And how did you decide to start this? Um, my actually, uh, so all my life, I've been very passionate about human rights and just uh, fighting for social justice, even if it was through my writing, um, just speaking to people. And uh, my husband knew that about me uh, for a long time. So he started calling me like just as a nickname, Zaina Rights, because uh, I like to write and I talk about human rights. And so when we started this blog, um, just to, for me to put my thoughts out there, especially about Yemen, um, it was just an easy choice. It was for fun, um, like in the sense that I didn't think anything would become something. Uh, obviously, no one starts out with that mindset. And uh, it just the name stuck, and uh, that's how it came to be. I lost audio. 
Can't hear you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was saying, what um, issues do you think are the issues that are important for you to raise? Because I think a lot of people will send you messages and say, why aren't you talking about this? Why did you choose this to speak about? Um, so what helps you to choose what issues you want to highlight around the world? So I think obviously uh, one person can talk about everything. I mm -hmm. think I realized that very early on. It yes. gets very overwhelming right now with the advent of social media and digital media. It's mm -hmm. like we know about so many things that we wouldn't have known about. And uh, to be everywhere, it's not possible. And there are, I will get a lot of messages being like, you know, why are you talking about one thing and why are you not talking about this thing? And I always tell people, like, when somebody chooses to be passionate about something, for me, it would be Yemen. It's mm -hmm. not that I'm downplaying other issues. It's that I have really gotten close to the subject matter. I really studied it inside and out. And, uh, you know, that's something that I feel comfortable talking about. Yeah. There's many issues that we really don't know much about. And we can't really jump on the bandwagon and be like, you know, be people that are just following the trends. We really have to know the issues and dissect it because the world of journalism, I realized there's so many angles, there's mm -hmm. so falsehood and truth, and you can't really do justice to it by, you know, being part of like a hashtag movement. Um, mm -hmm. You really have to dissect the issue and you should really speak about things that you have knowledge about. And, uh, you know, um, it doesn't undermine every other issue. Obviously, we should try to understand the issues. And something that's really important to me is working locally rather than globally. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of times we forget that. We forget that, like, uh, even as specifically as Muslims, we need to give back to our local societies. Mm -hmm. So, for example, my work, for example, with this relief organization, Angels for COVID, would be, I would say, 10 times more important than everything that I do on social media. Mm -hmm. Just because I have that really, um, like, one-to-one -one interaction on ground with people. I know what's happening in my backyard. I'm able to assist people that, you know, I otherwise wouldn't have if I didn't do this work. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I would just say to like really think, um, think globally, but act locally. In terms of um, journalism, you mentioned a little bit about it, but um, this field is, I think, harder for, you know, Muslim women to tap into. Yeah. Do you have plans to work for a corporate media organization? And if you don't, what's your reasoning? Yeah, so um, I feel like, you know, I've, I've done a lot of work, you know, since the beginning of my journey with journalism. Um, I wrote a lot of pieces about Yemen. Um, mm -hmm. I got to, uh, there were good pieces. I got good grades in them. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the way I wrote it. It was mm -hmm. the content. And um, I realized very early on that uh, media outlets did not want this content. Um, and uh, there was one independent out outlet that wanted me to change some things. Um, and uh, I realized that, you know, I couldn't really be openly speaking the truth unless I really worked for myself pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, so with Zainab Rights, I've been extremely um, strict about, you know, not promoting anything in terms of getting money from anyone, um, any kind of ads, any kind of sponsorships. I just don't want my, I guess, truth to be tainted. 
um, with where I think there's a lot of strings attached and mm -hmm. a lot of the work we see out there is so watered down and not everyone's getting the real truth. Um, so I don't have plans to work for corporate media ever. Mm -hmm. Unless a big miracle happens and they start telling the truth, so <laughs> and getting the things from the people who are actually living um, in those situations, uh, which is something that you do very well, um, mm -hmm. reaching out to those sources and getting them on, especially your sources from Yemen, which is uh, truly incredible. Um, so, uh, something else I wanted to get into a little bit is, you know, what is um, when you started out. Did you outwardly um, say your sect in Islam and was did that create some kind of conflict for you later on when you did tell people? Um, so I, you know, I, I felt like there was no need for me to really just be like, oh, I'm Shia, I'm Shia, I'm Shia, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, obviously, we're all Muslim. Of course. Um, so, and my religion is obviously a big part of who I am. Mm -hmm. And so I was always unapologetically Muslim. And that's how I had really put myself out there. Uh, there are a lot of my following, even till today, is Sunni and non-Muslim. Mm -hmm. um, you'll see that a lot of people really, like, I felt there's a kinship with me and the people who follow me and respect my work and support me. Mm -hmm. um, and in that sense, trust me. You know, there's yeah. a lot of trust and um, you could see that with my recent like research of Yemen and the organizations and how I figured out, you know, there's a big scam going on with all these organizations. And so many people, you know, really resonated with my work. And uh, for the first time, you know, I saw the fruits of years of doing the same kind of work where today there's so much respect and trust between me mm -hmm. and the people. Yeah. Um, but recently, like, you know, there's a lot of oppression happening against Shias and minorities. And, uh, you know, with the recent, like, bombings in the maternity ward in Afghanistan, mm -hmm. um, obviously, I'm very outspoken about these issues. And I, I just, nor like, I felt like it was high time that I just start speaking about, like, my faith. And the mm -hmm. you know, obviously, I am Muslim, but there are certain parts, like, yesterday was Eid al-Adir. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm going to speak about who I am. And because of that kinship and that trust that I've already built with the people, um, so many people, I've had hundreds and probably over like six, 700 messages that uh, that I've read. There's many that I haven't been able to get to mm -hmm. asking me about, you know, more info about Shia material, how to be a Shia, how to like, what is the differences? A lot of mm -hmm. curiosity. A lot and of people don't know. They don't know. They've never mm -hmm. met a Shia. For many people, I'm the only Shia person that they know. Um, mm -hmm. Influencers have come to me and said, you're the only Shia person I follow. Can you teach me more about how you and I are similar or different? Mm -hmm. They're Muslim influencers. So um, I felt like there's a lot of um, people who are open-minded mm -hmm. and uh, who've learned a lot about my faith through um, social media, which otherwise would have never happened. And it's more about just bringing um, that awareness and I think respect into you know both uh, both sects respecting each other, uh, which is very nice. Um, I actually have a, a photo op next week uh, with a, a good friend who helped me start. Uh, I got to know her through my relief organization, mm -hmm. and she is Sunni, and we're going to be doing like a huge photo op about Shia Sunni unity. That's awesome. and, uh, 
I think more of that kind of work needs to be done. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and it's good that you're starting that. I think there's a lot of um, discomfort when people find out that you're a Shia and I don't sometimes understand why. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are the things that you, what are the stereotypes about Zainab rights that you wanna break down? Um, I think that like today, for example, I had gone to an event, a baby shower mm -hmm. um, in the morning um, and uh, but many people know me as Zainab rights and uh, I'm very close to the person whose baby shower it was. And um, many people came up and they saw me cracking jokes and like I'm being this huge goofball that I usually am. And they're like, well, we didn't know you were like this. You know, we thought you were so intense. Um, <laughs> so I think a big stereotype about me is that I'm this revolutionary warrior, like, you know, out to like go against the government or <laughs> rebel or something like that. I'm like, no, man, I'm just like, a, honestly, an average mom who's just trying to do her best mm -hmm. at home. Um, and mostly, you know, I'm, I'm just normal with my kids and my family. Um, activism is a part of me, but again, it's a part of me. And uh, I really truly believe that it can be a part of anyone's life without it being all of your life. So I, I appreciate that about Islam. It's uh, taught me to ba be a balanced and holistic individual. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we can all find that activist in us that wants to change or challenge um, like societal paradigms and mm -hmm. uh, that we can all do that in our own kind of way. What's your piece of advice to our youth who are looking to get into careers like journalism or similar careers that are not met with such, um, I think, excitement from parents or community members or, you know, our culture yeah yeah well i think so the answer to that is two part i think the first one is that you know obviously journalism and activism these are not very um i would say mainstream careers you know especially in our culture it's like either lawyer or doctor or anything that helps you make a lot of money mm -hmm. um, but like as i feel like journalism today is the most important career um anyone could do um, just because of the lies that are plaguing our society. And uh, honestly, we live in a world of information wars. Um, the wars that you see all around us, you see the burning of all these countries. You see so many people, like you said, hating Shias, hating um, people that they don't know of because that's what they've been brainwashed to believe. Um, and we honestly have no excuse anymore because so many people are now finding their information and uh, um, scrolling for media on social media. And, uh, you know, honestly, social media is the newspaper of today. So if we are able to really understand how this journalism work world works, um, really build a career out of that, then we need more good people to join the fight um, against all the evil that's plaguing our society. And I promise you, it's the most rewarding thing. Like it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, you know, at the end of the day, you're always gonna go to sleep very, very happy that you tried your best. And uh, that's how I feel personally, that, you know, it gives this job gives me a lot of peace to know that, you know, I'm, I'm really doing everything that I can and I have no regrets. Um, and the second part is, I think, the cultural aspect, mm -hmm. especially for a woman. 
Um, I've had a lot of challenges personally. Um, in my culture, I'm, I'm Indian, Pakistani, African Koja. Um, so it's been a very difficult journey um, in that sense. Um, my my family and culture and society, and especially like even my husband's family, really um, didn't look favorably on a woman, not just doing this job, but being so outspoken, so out there. Um, you know, a woman should invisible. be She should be invisible. She should be mm -hmm. hidden. Um, and uh, this is a big thing for a lot of people to swallow. Like, oh, who does she think she is? Is she better? Uh, she, does she think she's better than us? Or mm. look at her husband. He must be so whipped. Um, he's uh, as if like um, being hidden is connected with piety. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So I believe spirituality is so weaponized uh, against activism in that sense then it's such a big excuse for people to be like oh conveniently let's let's not speak out because obviously then that person is not as pious mm. whereas i i would disagree i think that activism is something every youth should be encouraged to do yeah. because it brings you closer to islam and brings you closer to your religion for me activism is why i'm so deeply religious and I continue to want to learn more about Islam because there's been moments, there's so there's so many obstacles, right? You'll find yourself alone. You'll find yourself alone with the truth. You're like, I know the truth, but no one's listening. And I had a lot of these struggles. Yeah. Um, you'll find yourself very like, you know, facing an uphill battle after battle. And you'll feel like, oh my gosh, like who is there with me? And it's that realization that, you know, you just need God. You don't need mm -hmm. anyone else to believe in you. And so I would say, like, just find that light within you and uh, go for it. Don't let anyone th make you think otherwise, especially if your intention is so good. Yeah. I wrote down, is, spirit, is activism a spiritual journey? And that's what I was going to ask you next. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. It's a huge, I think, especially if you wake up with that intention every day, that how do God, how do I get close to you? How do I make you happy? How do I make you proud mm -hmm. of my existence here on earth? Because God, God put all of us here for a purpose. There's no like, you know, you, you're not in that, like you're not replaceable. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole capitalistic world has made everyone think that they're so disposable. They're so, yes, we are insignificant in the large aspect of things in, in, in relationship to God. Mm -hmm. But if we realize that, we are God. We're we're from God. We're the breath of God, and He created us to be close to Him. Then we would definitely not look down upon ourselves, and we would understand that we're very val valuable, and uh, have we have to achieve that value here on Earth. Inshallah, we can do that, and we can all try to go towards that. I think uh, activism side of us. I think. Um, you can be, what are the ways, does it have to be you going online and fundraising or what are the ways that people can be, um, you know, active and raising awareness? I, so I've spoken to a lot of people, especially women. Women are, for me, it's like very close to my heart, women empowerment. Um, and many women have come to me privately and said, look, Zainab, I can't do what you're doing. My mm -hmm. husband 
allow me. My father won't allow me. Um, I'm, I can't really have a voice. I can't be seen. And what can I do? What can I do? And I say to everybody, look, like you guys, like I know you're struggling. You have your limitations, mm-hmm. but you can definitely be an activist, even whatever situation you have. So, for example, when it comes to Yemen, there people don't realize how important phone banking is, right? Mm-hmm. If you have a phone, you can call your, you know, congressman, state representative, and let them know your position about Yemen. M- many people won't do that. Um, donate, you know, tell people in your own family tables, your dinner tables, you won't. Mm-hmm. I feel like the biggest thing that I do in my life is educate my children. Um, and today they're growing up. I have an eight-year-old son who knows so much about Yemen and uh, he's constantly putting them at the forefront. You know, he said he got Eid money. He said, I want to donate that to Yemen. So like we can take those little steps and activist doesn't mean you have to be on the megaphone. It can be that you're that mother who's instilling a sense of revolution in your kids. Uh, Revolution means change and uh, consistent change against unjust systems. So we live in a world of so much injustice and tyranny. And uh, a lot of us don't wanna think about that. And we don't want our comforts to be challenged but at the end of the day, if we think about why we're here on earth and where we're going back to, and we think about our death, then we'll realize that all these materialistic things, my home, my, even my kids, my husband, they're not going to be coming with me. And so what am I leaving this world with? Um, we're not going to live here forever. This mm-hmm. is not our destination. You know, the hereafter is our destination. So what are we taking with us? And I think if we keep that, constantly in the forefront then we will let that move us towards the right kind of activism i think the biggest um issue with journalism today is storytelling about marginalized communities um what's your advice and how do you think that this can how how do you think we can create change in in that realm i think like you said storytelling i think it's the huge biggest vehicle that we have in our power right now Mm-hmm. If a person learns how to storytell the right way, we all can be storytellers. How would you tell a story to a kid at home? Mm-hmm. Uh, how would you build like a plot? How would you um, relate to that and have that emotional factor? And I think as, especially as women, we do that really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a really good um, hold on storytelling. And I found that to be, you know, my background as a writer and a storyteller even now as i write my books and like i'm using that creative aspect it is so hugely influential to my work right now in in reaching people um you know spoken word artists and poetry you can see all these elements really move people and that those that you use to move people you have to use that in your um ability like your i guess end goal in terms of activism because you can't get people to act unless you bring that aspect in that hey how does that relate to me why should i care about this issue well you know for example so i i really talk a lot about my kids my relationship to them and that's why for me as a mother like this whole thing in yemen is totally destroying me because i have this connection with the children of Yemen, mm-hmm. the orphans of Yemen. I feel like, what if they were my kid? What if, you know, 
Like who is looking after them? Who I, my country is sending these bombs and is helping do this damage. And if I'm, if I feel that and I make other people feel that they're going to be more inclined to act um, towards uh, ending that suffering. And you were on, I think both you're on both sides of this um, storytelling radar um, with what happened to you at the airport. Can you give us a little bit? Of, I don't think you've, uh, you've only talked about it once, I think. Yeah. Um, do you want to, you know, basically tell think, people what the lies are? <laughs> I think so. So this happened to me a while ago. Mm -hmm. um, and it, uh, I was, I was one of the many, many people in America during the Obama administration that got put into a watch list. Um, and uh, it wasn't like I had thought initially that it was to do with my work as a as somebody who's always, you know, constantly talking right. against the government. But then I found that there are so many people on the watch list that are not active or activists. Yeah. So they're just normal people whose name or something or where they visited, like um, going to Ziara or like Hajj or anywhere that they've traveled, um, anything can pretty much put you on a watch list, especially if you're Muslim, mm. especially if you're wearing a hijab. So I found a lot of people during my like detainments at the airport uh, wearing a hijab or being Middle Eastern background or being Muslim. And um, I knew right away that I cannot be quiet about this because mm -hmm. it's unbearable. And I used to travel a lot, obviously, from my school. Um, and uh, this was a weekly thing. It got wow. to the point where, and I think my end point, because my husband is very different than me. He's mm -hmm. very not outspoken. Mm -hmm. He's very much very calm and patient. And he's like, you know, Zena, we'll get over this. Don't like, you know, don't make a big thing out of this. So I kept quiet for like uh, around two years. And it got to a point where um, it affected my kids. Mm -hmm. um, and when we would take like family trips, uh, they would like separate me, like me and my husband and the children. Yeah. They would pat them down and they were so little. They were so little and they would be like- It was scary. It was very scary because I couldn't see them. I didn't know what was going on with them. Mm -hmm. And you know, as a mother, your heart goes out and then I started fighting and it became a big thing. And I'm like, don't touch my kids. Like, and it's just like, you don't want those kind of encounters when you're just taking a vacation. And so we started, you stopped taking vacations. Yeah. Started impacting our life. And I was like, wait a minute, what am I doing? Like, why am I not speaking out against this? Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, it's, it's easier said than done, especially when it happens to you. And you're like, well, everyone was like saying, don't speak out against this. If you speak out, you know, they'll do worse to you. And it's and, like you feel that responsibility of like, I'm going to put a target on my family's back. Yeah, you know? even more so. Right? Mm -hmm. but now, it, and it's so sad that, you know, a lot of times we think, especially when we're being oppressed or abused, and even in this case, it was very emotional kind of abuse for two mm -hmm. years going on. You don't know. At, at that point, you're still telling yourself that it might get better. It could be worse. It could mm -hmm. be worse. And you're subjecting yourself to this kind of treatment because you just don't want it to get worse. Mm -hmm. and it's like having a bad marriage, right? The abuser <laughs> getting away with things because you're like, well, he still gives me this and he still gives me that. And uh, I just, um, it got to a point where I got really fed up and I'm like, mm -hmm. look, you know, either this is going to get worse or it just keeps going like this. But I, either way, 
they're they're really trampling on my rights and I can't yeah. live like this. And the sad part was nobody was speaking out. There, everybody mm-hmm. was doing the same thing that I was. The thousands of people on this watch list. And um, I made a decision. I didn't care what you know everyone was telling me. Like at this point, I was just like, you know, I'm so sick of this. I'm the one living this, you know. It's I'm not, living this, it's not yeah. your experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went. I I put out a word, and for, uh, the ACLU actually reached out to me mm-hmm. when one of my videos, I think, went uh, like viral. They reached out to me and they said, "Look, if you want to fight this, we'll help you, mm-hmm. and you'll become our face case." So I thought about this and. I was like, okay, let's do this. Um, so it was a long journey. And the more I fought, the worse it became, the treatment. Mm-hmm. Like you, like everyone was right. Like they became even more agitated with mm-hmm. the worst. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's speaking out. Um, so the FBI actually took me out to dinner one day. And uh, they said that, you know, if you want us to remove you from this list, you have to do something for us. <laughs> and they took me to a five-star restaurant. And... Um, I told them, what is it that you want me to do? And uh, they said that we want you to be um, an informant for your mosque. You're so well-spoken. You're so intelligent. You know, I think you could be a huge asset to the FBI. And uh, I said, really? Uh, What do you want me to inform on? They're like, well, you know, we know that a lot of people are allied with, um, you know, what's happening with uh, Iran and Mm -hmm. The Shias that really like, you know, uh, Khamenei or Khomeini. I was like, I got up right there and then <laughs> and said, look, <laughs> you, I mean, I'm a mom. I'm not a spy. You know, I'm not here to spy for anyone. I'm never going to do this. I don't know what made you think I would. And I left very angrily and they were just sitting there. And mm-hmm. I, I guess I was so angry that I didn't think of the consequence yeah. of just leaving so angrily um maybe i could have done it better but i am a hothead when it, people start messing with me it just i stop thinking about the actual consequences and right after that incident um that huge incident happened that everyone knows about mm-hmm. On my trip to harvard i was uh detained and um they i was menstruating so they actually stopped me um from that, you know, I've already gone through the mm-hmm. body scan and nothing came up. I, you know, cause you can see, right? Yeah. Lights up, nothing was lit up. And there, and the woman said, I want to pat her down. And, um, and so the officers were right there and they did a really, really grueling pat down in front of everyone, like mm-hmm. on private parts everywhere. And that woman, like she had a smarky smile on her face and she tells the other supervisor, that there's something in her groin area that we really need a deeper look on. And it got to a point where like, I was just screaming. I was like, no, I don't. Because at that point now I know, like, what if I'm going to die? This today? is a mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that they they just want an excuse to put me in a private room and kill me. Mm. And, um, so they're like, no, we need to take you into the room and this and that. And uh, I was just not having it. I said, let me call my lawyer. Let me at least, you know, like do Call something. Mm-hmm. Let me ask someone. I'm all alone here and nobody knows like what's happening to me. And they're like, nope, you can't use your phone. You can't go back. You can't turn around. You can't go forward. You're going to be stuck here. And then they call the state troopers, like seven feet tall guys with guns like loaded. And it just, it seemed like they wanted me to fight back mm-hmm. so that they would just 
they could put have a an excuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I uh, ended up going into the, it was like a closet and uh, they, they strip searched me. They, they pulled everything down um, to, at least it was two female officers. And then I was just like, you know, I, I couldn't let them see how upset I was. My, I was holding back my <laughs> And then I come out and they're just smiling. They just did not care. They wanted me to be so humiliated. And then I asked for their badges because I think at this time I was just like so fed up. And I said, whatever, you know, when, when you it get, can't get worse, it can't get worse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've already felt like I was going to die. So mm-hmm. might as well. So they started covering up their badges because they knew that something was wrong. And I think mm-hmm. they didn't know that they messed with the wrong person because um, I went around, managed to get all their names, um, went to the state troopers. Um, they didn't know I was watching. I wrote down their names and then they turn around and I'm like, look, I'm going to report all of you guys. You guys don't know what you've done today. Mm-hmm. And uh, Just had this really strong attitude. But then I went to the bathroom and just cried, cried, cried. And I was on the phone with my lawyer and he's like, you know, we're going to fight this. And um, yeah, so just from that incident, things got like worse. Mm-hmm. And then people started knowing about this. And there was a huge petition. The entire world signed. Um, and then I'd gone, I went, flew down to Orlando. Mm-hmm. And I really um, had a chance to speak to Congress people and uh, tell them my situation. And the entire airport team was there as well. Mm-hmm. And then the FBI officers that had took me out for dinner were there as well. And I, I was surprised to see them. And I think they were really, like, scared to see me. Yeah. They didn't expect that. Intimidated. I, mm-hmm. yeah. And I called them out right there. I said, you and you, you took me out. Wow. And you, 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 like, basically blackmailed me to be an informant for my mosque. And I refused. And then things got worse. So, and right after that confrontation, right after that, that flight back home, Mm-hmm. From Florida to, I'd already moved to Toronto. There was no problems, and since then, like I've been off this watch list. And then soon after, here Florida won their whole watch list suit against the government for putting all these Muslims in watch lists. And um, so there seems to be like victories, but it could have happened without people speaking out. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing um, this intense the first time story. I've been- about it so it feels good to get that Mm -hmm. yeah i'm glad that um we got the opportunity to hear from you and i think this is so crucial and so important so people know what you went through Mm -hmm. um we've unfortunately come over and (laughs) to the end of our show but um i'd love to know what your final piece of advice for our youth is today what do you want to leave us with i think that you know as especially as youth there it's these times are so hard. Like I really, I really empathize with the youth growing up today, uh, with pandemics and wars and crazy presidents. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it's a challenging time. It's a very challenging time, and I think that every single youth has the power to literally change this world. Mm-hmm. And my advice would be that you know, look deep down within yourself, find that inner light in you. And just uh, go with it. You know, don't listen to other people. Um, don't let people shut you down, shut your dreams down, especially if it's rooted in, you know, a good intention. 
um, and ask God for help. That should be your only, um, like the only thing that you really trust and you should rely on that only. And, uh, you know, believe in yourself. Thank you so much, Zainab, for everything you've shared with us today, for your courage um, and for inspiring our youth to really be those activists within their communities. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was our pleasure. You were just listening to the UMentor Talk Show. If you miss this or future shows, you can always hear the replay on the UMentor website under prior talk shows. And you can also watch us on YouTube, YouTube Live, or iTunes or SoundCloud podcasts. So you never miss another show. Did you know that we switched over to YouTube? If you didn't already, then you should now subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you have any questions for our current speaker or prior speakers, just please give us an email at emoja, sorry, mentor at emojaoutreach.org and we'll get feedback from our speakers. Be sure to tune in next week on Saturday at 3 p.m. for our next guest.